Well, hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and uh, I'm joined by... it's just me. It's, it's me. It's my dog and my cat. And uh, me. Uh, David Russell had to uh, go to work at the last minute, and so uh, we will not be doing exactly the podcast I wrote up. Uh, the write-up that I did, you will be able to find it on the board, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. You can read that write-up. I wrote it with the intention of conversation between two people. Uh, and I didn't want to just talk about the thing that I am posting on the board uh, by myself, because not a lot of new insight uh, can come out of that. And so I put together an entirely different show on the same subject uh, to talk to you uh, about today. So uh, today we will be discussing the subject of marriage. This is the show that this is the topic that we would have been talking about. It's just that I'll be making completely different points. Uh, we'll be talking about marriage and um, in particular, why I don't think it is a particularly good idea. And understand that this is the first part of a conversation so you can kind of think of it as part one because I suspect that Russell and I will get back to doing this show either before the season is over or maybe before the week is over uh, we'll be able to do this uh, show and have the conversation the way it um, was intended to be but this is the time for you to get a new show in the feed and so you're going to get this you're going to get the blog post and uh, we can get a head start on the discussion. So I don't intend that any of this is the last word on the subject, but it kind of introduces the subject. Now, I don't believe that marriage is a particularly good idea. Uh, let me just get that out of the way up front. Uh, I'm not really in favor of marriage as an institution. I'm not fond of the institution of marriage. I have my reasons. I will not get to all of them on this podcast. But I think that um, I think that the course of human history tells us that marriage is not a particularly good idea. And when I speak of marriage, I'm mostly thinking about the Judeo-Christian version uh, of marriage. And there are some differences between the Jewish version of marriage and the Christian version of marriage. Uh, but uh, if you say Judeo-Christian, then you're kind of hinting at um, some of the things the Bible has to say about marriage and mostly the New Testament is that is what I'm talking about. So I could even say New Testament marriage. But when Jesus talks about marriage, he actually reaches back into the Old Testament a little bit. So it can get a little confusing. Uh, but that said, uh, the Judeo Christian version of marriage is the thing that I am uh, inveighing against right now. But I want to be clear, I'm not in favor of any version of marriage, and there have been a lot, a lot of versions of marriage. And so one of the first questions that you have to ask is why marriage? Why do we, why do we think that marriage is a good idea? You see, I think that humans simply were not made for lifetime monogamous relationships. It's, it's just not in us. Some people can make it work if they work really hard. But it seems that most of us can't make it work, or at least half of us can't make it work. It just is not 
realistic. This idea of one man, one woman for life, even people who marry and settle down and stay with each other forever, that's often not their first sexual partner on either, on either side. So the, the idea that you're having sex with one person uh, for the entirety of your life is just not true. Uh, even in successful marriages, it's, that's usually not the case where this was the first sexual experience. We weren't, we weren't made for it. Uh, and we're going to look at some of the statistical information that uh, makes me say this. But uh, I want to start with the theological side of things, because that's really the, the tell. If you want to know why marriage is probably not a good idea, you, you have to look at some of the origins of Christian thinking on the subject. And so I'm going to just make a case right now. In fact, I'm not going to make uh, a case so much. Uh, I'll do that when I have someone besides myself to talk to. But I'm going to suggest that the real motivation for marriage in, in the Christian worldview is sexual legitimacy. That's pretty much it. Um, sexual legitimacy. Otherwise, if you, if you just kind of look at what the New Testament says about marriage, marriage is probably not a particularly good idea, even from a, a religious point of view. Do you really want people uh, to make laws about marriage who don't think that marriage is a particularly good idea? I think you probably don't. And if you look at uh, some of the most influential people uh, bloviating about marriage, uh, Catholic priests, hello, uh, they're unmarried. Um, a lot of preachers are unmarried, even though uh, Protestantism doesn't, um, there's no prohibition against uh, preachers marrying. Uh, not, not every preacher is married, but um, if you just go back and in look in the Bible that the people who talked about it most in the, in the New Testament and who quote unquote laid down the law on marriage originally, uh, Jesus and Paul, notoriously unmarried men. Now God, he came to earth and he could bother to live and go through childhood and adolescence and puberty. Um, and it was okay for him to have an earthly ministry and be rejected and uh, put up on a cross and crucified, but he couldn't be bothered with that nasty, messy, yucky institution of marriage. That's, that's one of those things that uh, would have been what I guess beneath the dignity of God. What kind of mess would we have had if Jesus had had kids? Ugh. That, that would have been constant war. Uh, so maybe it's a good idea he didn't, but uh, for an institution that is supposedly extremely important in the Christian worldview, maybe the most important uh, configuration of human beings, Jesus eschewed it like the plague, and so did Paul. So I'm, I'm going to start off by making the case that uh, in the biblical worldview, marriage, while allowed, is not really preferable. It's not not really a great idea. So let's let's just start. I've uh, I've got a few tabs open. Uh, I'll do a little reading, which is something I don't like to do uh, on mic, but I don't have anyone else to put it off on. So I guess I'll do it myself. Uh, let's 
look at let's see this verse 34 this is uh luke chapter 20 and we'll scooch down here i really could start at around verse 30 uh the second uh and then the third uh marriage i don't want to do that uh so verse 34 this is after jesus was asked this um kind of this trick question i guess um uh, seven brothers uh had married a, a a woman and they each died in turn and so they had each married her and who is going to be uh whose whose wife will she be in the in the resurrection so verse 34 jesus said to them the people of this age this is very this is one of the most interesting readings of this you can you can see this story in a uh two or three of the gospels i don't remember how many the people of this age marry and are given to marriage i'll pause right there for a moment uh notice the language marry and are given to marriage those who marry are men those who are given to marriage uh, given in marriage are women uh just reflect on that uh for a bit <laughs> as you reflect on marriage um I, I might cover that in another tab uh, but those who are regarded as worthy to share in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage so marriage according to jesus is just one of those things you do here but if you're going to be worthy of the next age don't worry about marriage because marriage is not something you do there I, I I could go further in this passage, but I've got a lot to cover, so I I will leave it there, uh, only to say that in heaven, this ultimate condition of paradise, there is no marriage. Are you crazy? Of course there would be no marriage because marriage is this ugh, yucky, gross institution that has nothing to do with perfected beings. It's only there for unperfected beings we'll we'll talk about that but marriage is not this holy and sacred configuration of human beings that god envisioned from the beginning that's that's not how the bible views it at all it's not a configuration that we will continue to have in heaven no i'm sorry mormons you're just wrong about that if we're going to listen to the jesus of the new testament Marriage is, marriage is not the kind of thing that you want to do for eternity. It's not good enough for heaven. Good enough for earth, sure. Heaven, no. Uh, so let's see. What do we have here? Looking at um, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff in this chapter we could look at. Let's come to, uh, let's say, Eight. Jesus said to them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning, it was not this way. Now I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. Okay, so you've all heard that before. You may not have heard this part before. So the disciples said to him, if this is the case, of a husband with a wife, it is better not to marry. 
So the the interpretation of Jesus' direct words from the people who were closest to Jesus is, if that's what marrying is, who would want to do it? It's, it's better not to do it at all. Jesus' response to that was basically, yeah, <laughs> you're true that. Uh, that's that's pretty much um, what he says. I'll read what he says because uh, it doesn't read exactly that way. Uh, but that's the upshot of it. You can look in. Uh, you can you can do what I did and uh, look in every commentary that you can find. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's pretty much um, what he's saying. So uh, it's better not to marry, his, his disciples said. And he, being Jesus, said to them, not everyone can accept this statement except those to whom it has been given. This is one of those mystery religion kind of phrases, but we'll go, we'll skip over that. For there are some eunuchs, you know, if you go online and you listen uh, on YouTube, you'll hear a lot of people calling them Enix. Enix. <laughs> Christians have a little bit of literacy in Bible literacy. Um, this is not talking about the prophet. <laughs> okay. Enix. Uh, a eunuch is someone who has been castrated, um, or it could also mean uh, someone who voluntarily abstains from sex in this time. They're not Enix. Stop it, guys. Uh, for there are some eunuchs who were that way from birth. And some who were made eunuchs by others. Kind of self-explanatory there. And some who became eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then it finishes with another one of these mysterious phrases. The one who is able to accept this should accept it. Now the upshot is, yeah, guys, it is better not to be married. It's it's better to be like a eunuch, uh, which is to say someone who abstains from sex. And and if you can do it, that's what you should do. There's a there's a little tell uh, in this passage. Um, it was in verse toward the end of verse 12 here uh by others oh and some who became eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven this is actually a fairly common theme you know we chose not to have sex for the sake of the kingdom of heaven that's presented as a good thing something that benefits the kingdom of heaven Throughout the New Testament, marriage is never presented as something that is done so that the kingdom of heaven can be benefited. Marriage is actually presented as the opposite of that. So we'll we'll get to that in short order. But Jesus' preference is for eunuchs because you're not going to be married in heaven and you're better off not marrying on earth. Uh, and so if you can handle it, don't. <laughs> that's the um, that's the upshot. First Corinthians uh, seven. Uh, I'll read more of this than I want to. I'm just going to start at the beginning. Uh, now, with regard to the issues you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. <laughs> so you you can stop. Actually, you can stop right there. This is Paul. This is this is his feeling on the matter. I'll read it again. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, period, <laughs> full stop. That's that's what 
he thinks. That's what they think. It goes on to say, but because of immoralities, each man should have relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Okay, so we're, we're kind of giving you an out. You can go ahead and marry for the sake of sexual legitimacy. That's what this that's what this is. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibilities to his wife. Oh, woe is me. I got to do my responsibility again. Uh, and uh, likewise, a wife to her husband. It is not the wife who has the rights to her own body, in case you were wondering what it meant by uh, marital responsibilities. It's talking about sex, okay? <laughs> it is not uh, the wife who has uh, the rights to her own body, but the husband. Let that sink in. Husband has the right to wife's body. Now, for the sake of egalitarianism, he also says, in the same way, it is not the husband who has the rights to his own body, but the wife. Because we need it. Because <laughs> we're animals. Um, so, do not deprive each other, he goes on to say, except by mutual agreement for a specific period of time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Now, what, is, what does this mean? That your, your best time for prayer and devotion is when you're not having sex. <laughs> so this period that you set aside that you're going to be celibate, that's when you can really get religious. Think about that. It gets worse. Then he says, resume your relationship so that Satan may not tempt you <laughs> because of your lack of self-control. In other words, you are animals. I know your animals. You know your animals. And you're going to start having sex. And so uh, that's why you're married, so that you can have sex to each other in a situation of sexual legitimacy so that you don't go looking for sex somewhere else. This is really all the Bible has to say when it comes to marriage for the reason why we marriage. It's about sexual legitimacy. And if you don't give a tinker's damn about uh, some Christian's idea of sexual legitimacy, then you too should probably be against the notion of marriage, at least the notion that Christians uh, currently have with it. So uh, let me read just a little bit more. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that everyone was as I am, which is to say abstinent. That's, um, that's, that's what he means there. Look it up. I wish that everyone was as I am, but each has his own gift from God. <laughs> One this way, another that. So, all right. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and skip down to uh, verse 32, same chapter. And I want you to be free from the concerns an unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord. Remember uh, what we said about um, Jesus, uh, about Jesus' comment a little bit earlier. Um, you can, as as a eunuch, you know you can you can devote yourself to to God more fully. Here's here's Paul kind of echoing that. Um, an unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Well, what about a married man, Paul? 
he says, but a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how to please his wife. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, how to please his wife. And uh, he is divided. This is Paul's idea. If you're married, your loyalties are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord to be holy, both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place a limitation on you, but so that, <clears throat> excuse me, so that without distraction, you may give notable and consistent, uh, constant service to the Lord. <clears throat> in another place, I think it was earlier in the chapter, um, Paul says, it's, it's better to marry than to burn. And you might uh, can continue that thought out with, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, because an unmarried person is, is just a heaving organ of lust. Some people, some Christians um, suggest that it means it's better to marry than to burn in hell because you were having sex unmarried. I don't actually think that that's what that passage means, but it's awful either way, because for Paul and for Jesus, the only way that a person should be having sex is through marriage. It provides sexual legitimacy. And that this is somehow a better way for humans to be than unmarried. Well, is that true? Does do statistics bear that out? Do our own observations bear that out? Is this traditional view of marriage, one man, one woman for life? Actually, a better arrangement for humans is is this something good for humans? I said at the beginning, I don't think it is. And part of the reason I believe that is because Jesus in particular and religion uh, generally is a thing that starts with the assumption that humans are bad. Humans are bad. They're broken. They're messed up. And to fix the human condition, you've got to change the natural human way of being. So part of the natural human way of being is a fairly open and free sexuality. <laughs> that's, that's human. And Jesus is saying, no, you cannot be human. Humanity is bad. You've got to go against your nature and, and do this marriage thing in this way. That's it. The Christian idea of marriage actually goes against human nature. And maybe that explains why it goes so badly so often. So I, I just want to take a couple of, look of things. I'll, I'll be providing these links uh, in the show. This is um, an article on the origins of marriage. If you are one of those poor Christians who are suffering from the delusion that marriage was invented by Christians uh, or even Jews, you are sadly mistaken. That is not the case. So humans have 
had um, arrangements that you might call marriage for a long time, but it hasn't looked like it does in the in the Jewish and Christian version. So let's uh, I'm going to read just a little bit from this uh, piece. The uh, best available evidence suggests that it's about it's being marriage about 4,350 years old for thousands of years before that most anthropologists believe families consisted of loosely organized groups of as many as 30 people with several male leaders multiple women shared by them and children as hunters and gatherers settled down into agrarian societies society had uh civilizations, excuse me, society had uh, a need for more stable arrangements. The first recorded evidence of a marriage ceremony uniting one man and one, uh, one woman and one man dates from about 2350 BC. For those of you keeping score, that's uh, before Moses uh, in Mesopotamia. Over the next several hundred years, marriage evolved into a widespread institution embraced by the ancient Hebrews, Greeks, and Romans. But back then, marriage had little to do with love or religion. Just pause there for a moment. Marriage, we can, we can call all kinds of arrangements marriage, has been around for a long time the idea that we have of marriage has not been around for a long time. And so I have heard some Christian apologists cite how old the institution of marriage is as a way of suggesting, you see, this is, this is how our natural yearning is, and that is simply not true. Don't let them get away with that. Uh, I won't say they're lying, they're probably just ignorant. A lot of what passed for marriage would not pass for marriage today. It was not marriage. The, the idea that we have as marriage is fairly new in human history. And so those are the facts. Uh, it's, it's fairly new because it's, um, it's fairly against how humans are made. Uh, it's not to say that some people can't make it work but it is not the most natural arrangement of uh, of humans. I want to read one more paragraph of this uh, before moving on to the next, uh, I guess I could call them slides, the next tab. Uh, marriage primary, the marriage's primary purpose was to bind women to men and thus guarantee that a man's children were truly his biological heirs. Once again, we're talking about legitimacy, except in this case, we're talking about the legitimacy uh, of heirs, not, uh, not mere sexual legitimacy. Through marriage, a woman became a man's property. Let me say that again. Through marriage, a woman became a man's property. In the betrothal ceremony of ancient Greece, a father would hand over his daughter with these words. I pledge my daughter for the purpose of producing legitimate offspring. Among the ancient Hebrews, men were free to take several wives. Married Greeks and Romans were free to satisfy their sexual urges with concubines, prostitutes, and even teenage male lovers. 
while their wives were required to stay home and tend the household. If wives failed to produce offspring, their, their husbands could give them back and marry someone else. This actually sounds very biblical, uh, especially the idea of concubines. Remember concubines? Uh, the first time you ever heard the concept of concubines, it's in the Bible. <laughs> Some of the holiest men in the Bible had concubines. In some cases, lots of them. Concubines were not wives. They were they were female sex properties. That's that's pretty much what they were. Um, so I mean, you could try to gloss that over uh, in some way that helps you sleep at night. But that's what it was, and God seemed to be okay with that. And marriage was not one man, one woman for life. No, marriage was one man and as many women as he could afford, uh, afford essentially, plus girlfriends. Okay, so it uh, talks about when uh, religion uh, came and uh, became involved um, and how marriage uh, started to change. It's a good article. I encourage you to uh, follow that link and read it. Uh, you'll find all of the links uh, in my write-up. Uh, there may not even be much of a write-up uh, today. I might post the write-up. Um, but you'll see the links. If I do have a write-up, it'll be after, uh, at the end of the write-up. Uh, you can look at sources, uh, and it'll have these links. You can just click on them and, uh, and follow them. So um, what about marriage today, which is heavily influenced by religion? Is it a good idea? Does it work? Is this the most uh, natural and beneficial arrangement for humans? Well, let's look at some US divorce rates for various faith groups, age groups, and geographic areas. Now, first of all, uh, marriage should be so low among uh, religious groups, among faith groups, that there shouldn't even be a category for faith groups. <laughs> so the fact that every survey and statistic has a category for faith groups should tell you something even before you look at the numbers. It's a big enough number that we got to count it. So right here, right here and now we can see, um, yeah, no, this is actually a problem because the people who believe this garbage the most are also having at least the same trouble keeping it together as people who don't. But is that is that is that true? Uh, let's see. Uh, divorce rates in the U.S. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. And I'm not gonna. I'll just I'll just go over a few numbers here. Um, the normal lifestyle of American young adults uh, is lived together for a period of time uh, in a type of informal child marriage. These relationships frequently do not endure. Okay. That's true enough. Uh, and then uh, couples in their first marriage um, at an older age because they're not 16 anymore. Um, so let's just let's move down from here. This is another this has a lot of information that I recommend you uh, read. Uh, in fact, I'm going to I'm going to skip down to a few of 
few of the numbers, 11% of adult of the adult population is currently divorced. Now, this is going to be people who are currently divorced and not remarried. They're just right now divorced. It's not the people who are very likely to be divorced in the future. These are just the people who are divorced right now, about 11%. 25% of adults have had at least one divorce during their lifetime. So this suggests that second marriages are very popular um, because the first ones don't really go that well. Uh, then divorce rates, this was the one that will raise your eyebrows. This, this line right here. Divorce rates among conservative Christians were significantly higher than for other faith groups and much higher than atheists and agnostics experienced. You want me to read that one again? <laughs> Did that one did that one go by a little fast? Divorce rates among conservative Christians were significantly higher than for other faiths. So even among Christians, the more conservative you are, <laughs> generally, the more likely you are to divorce. But more damning, it's much higher than atheists and agnostics. <laughs> So if we are measuring success of marriage by longevity, and by the way, I do not measure the success of marriage by longevity. Um, but if that's, if that's your measurement, atheists do it better. Christians are terrible at marriage. They're terrible. Let's look at um, uh, various... Um, Religious groups. And this is a Barna report. Barna is a Christian, by the way. Uh, so he does these statistics. He is not trying to harm Christianity, not at all. Um, variations in uh, divorce rate uh, among Christian faith groups. So the uh, non denominationals top this list. The Baptists uh, are next, mainline Protestants are next followed by Mormons, Catholics, and Lutherans. Now, I want to I just give you a word about non-denominational uh, because I don't want you to be tripped up by that. Non-denominational is generally a, a buzzword for extremely fundamentalist, <laughs> okay? These are the guys that are so fundamentalist that they think that even the conservative denominations are too liberal. <laughs> so... Um, right. The, the more non-denominational you are, as a general rule, this is not always the case, as a general rule, non-denominational is extremely conservative, extremely fundamentalist. The highest group of Christians <laughs> who, who suffer divorce, these guys, followed by the biggest group in America, the Baptists <laughs> and the mainline Protestants. So, uh yeah so um variation in divorce rates by religion i um i take a little bit of issue to uh the way these numbers are put together but it's not worth talking about right here uh, the religion uh, they have it listed as jews born again christians other christians and atheists agnostics the jews were the highest here uh, followed closely by the 
born again Christians. Are you born again, brother? You are way higher than atheists and agnostics who have the lowest level. Hmm. Huh. Huh. Let's see. Variations in uh, divorce rates by age. Yeah, we'll leave that for uh, we'll leave that for the boards. Um, location. This one's really interesting. Um, you know who leads it? It's not a surprise. The South, <laughs> otherwise known as the Bible Belt. <laughs> in fact, many, um, many, many um, surveys just call it out as the Bible Belt. This is where you find the most divorce, uh, and it's tied with the Midwest, <laughs> which is also very Bibly. <laughs> so. There you go. Uh, the more Bible, more chances of um, divorce. Uh, the the heathen Northeast, yeah, only nineteen percent. They're the they're the lowest uh, lowest divorce rate. <laughs> I mean, wow. And so I'm just gonna pause here, slow roll this. You can see the uh, states where it's you know really high. Um, Arkansas, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, uh, New Mexico, Oklahoma, of course, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas. Uh, yeah, I suspect it would be a lot higher if they had Louisiana data. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, I, I actually suspect that it's uh higher and let me let me tell you just briefly as i as i scroll through this a little bit for those of you who are not going to click on the links uh here's why i think it's actually a little bit higher catholics have a little bit of a cheat catholics don't divorce you see they never divorce because divorce isn't allowed in the Catholic Church. So those running the gauntlet and divorcing in the Catholic Catholic Church uh, might, in fact, be facing excommunication. That may have been the case, at least at one point. What Catholics do allow, by the way, I fully expect to be corrected by um, Arthur. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. Uh, if Arthur doesn't step up, Brian with an I <laughs> surely will. Uh, bring on the latest uh, pronouncements of the latest Pope. <laughs> and so if if you are the kind of person who keeps up with that sort of thing, just look in the comments shortly after this uh, is over and we will see what SmackDown I am given by Brian with an I or uh, Arthur. We will, we will just see. Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. The Catholics have an out. Uh, it's called annulment. And uh, I strongly suspect that Catholics don't count their divorcees. And so uh, if you actually counted them, and if you actually call the quote unquote annulments divorces, the number of Christians divorcing would be a lot higher. So they're, they're cheating the numbers down a little bit, and it's still damning. Let's see. Uh, I got I got more to cover, so I'm gonna uh, I'll finish with this bit. Um, 
goes over some reasons why divorce rates might be higher in the Bible belt. There's a, there's a call out for the Bible belt there. Uh, there are three reasons, and uh, I will touch on them uh, quickly. Hopefully this will be taken up in the board. Tyler B., this is your assignment. Uh, I, I, I suspect good charts from you uh, on this. Uh, couples in the South enter their first marriage at a younger age. Check. Uh, family incomes in the South are lower. Check. Educational attainment is lower in the South. Uh, also, check. I would say that all three of these things is kind of attributable to religion, especially the way it's practiced in uh, the South, because marriage is such a priority because sex is going to happen. Sex is going to happen, folks. It's going to happen. Uh, you, you put uh, a young 16-year-old male and a young 16-year-old female in a box, and you shake them up and down, and you'll end up with a baby. <laughs> That's just going to happen because uh, we're animals. So because there is such a high premium on purity culture in the Bible Belt, you have to marry as soon as the law allows. And so the marriages happen at a younger age. And two of the things that are going to be a result of marrying so young is that you hadn't made any money yet. Even if you're going to make money later, you haven't made any yet. And you haven't finished your education yet. And that affects uh, the longevity prospects of a marriage. Thanks, Christianity. Thanks. So this, it looks like uh, this isn't work. We've got one more slide here, one more uh, tile. I, I, won't, <laughs> I won't talk about this one too long. The headline says it all. Uh, evangelicals are the least faithful when it comes to spouses, survey says. Now, the interesting thing uh, about this survey, and uh, this comes from, well, let's see, I don't see it up here, but, well, it's, so it's covered up by, this is, I think, from the New York Daily News. I can't prove it. Uh, I don't remember where this came from. The, the link will be in the notes. But the survey came from, uh, like, uh, yeah, Ashley Madison. Yeah, right there. Ashley Madison. Um, do you guys know uh, what Ashley Madison is? Well, you atheists probably don't know because you're not fooling around quite as much. But the Christians know what Ashley Madison is. It's a uh, website that encourages people to have an affair. <laughs> it's, it's an affair hookup site. In fact, let's just go ahead and click on it here. So uh, this is Ashley Madison site. <laughs> Life is short. Have an affair. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, very annoying. that's how they do it. So if anybody in America knows who's having affairs or who's looking to have an affair. It's these guys. 
they know exactly who's uh trolling for you know something something on the side okay um i don't think you're gonna get a better source of data than this it says in fact a quarter of the survey uh participants self-identify as evangelical making it the most common faith among the unfaithful i just love that line I'm reading again um a quarter of the survey participants self-identify these are just the people who admit it self-identify as evangelical making it the most common faith among the unfaithful <laughs> so uh many of the would-be cheaters on the site are also protestant almost 23 percent for catholic <laughs> about 23 percent um the study also found that 24% uh, men, 32% women, so uh, these good, godly, pure women, they are looking for some action, baby. Forget action, uh, Ashley Madison, Christian Mingle, I'll net you a date tonight. <laughs> so um, let's see. Um, uh yeah yeah so uh skip it down um yeah, overall the survey results uh reflect the break breakdown uh of religions in the u.s uh in other words it goes with the rest of the data uh there was uh there was another piece in here i just wanted to uh note let's see a quote from somebody who i don't care about you can uh go and pray every sunday or saturday or three times a day it may not make a difference in how monogamous you are this uh, person says <laughs> so um the statistics seem to uh bear that out uh, yeah, the group who was least likely, although I don't see it uh, in this article, the group least likely to have affairs, atheists. Um, but hey, um, sure. <laughs> um, now, looking at uh, looking at marriage theologically, are these really the people? that you want to have a say uh, on marriage. Just consider the subject of gay marriage. This comes from uh, a god who once thought that it was perfectly okay to say, kill homosexuals. Do we really want to listen to that god's opinion on gay marriage? Honestly, it doesn't matter if it's a few thousand years later and maybe he's grown up a little more. I say he's disqualified forever from weighing in on marriage. I don't care about his opinion anymore. And if Jesus is that guy, I don't care about his opinion. But Jesus uh, goes further than that. He says, you know what, marriage, not even that great. If you're really faithful, if, you, if you're a real insider, you wouldn't marry. And don't worry about it. If you are married, it's not like a sin, but you won't be married in the afterlife because the institution ain't that great. And Jesus, giving us the best example of human configurations, goes without marrying. And after a few 
passings of the torch, we get to Paul, who says outright, you know what, marriage, not that great. But since you're a bunch of animals, better to marry than to burn. But if you can do without it, just don't. Just don't. Stay away from it. If you really want to to work in God's kingdom and do your best work for Jesus, stay focused on Jesus, don't marry. Don't divide your attention between God and the things of this world. Things like trying to please your spouse. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to be as useful to God's kingdom if you do that. Don't marry. You want to listen to that guy's advice about marriage? That's the guy you want to listen to? Are you kidding me? And finally, uh, we can look and we can see if what the Christians have to say about marriage pans out. Because, you know, you can always say, well, uh, you can say that marriage is for sexual legitimacy, but life is generally better for Christians and they have better marriages. And all you have to do is listen to them and model their behavior and you'll see for yourself. Well, okay. So what is, what is the survey said? Every survey, every survey that I could find says that Christians are the worst when it comes to marriage, assuming that you, um, use longevity as your as your yardstick they're the worst and they are most likely to have affairs they're certainly not better than atheists they can't keep it in their pants either in fact they're worse at it those are the guys that you want uh making laws about marriage really on what basis let me just close uh, with this. Let me close with this. I'm not a fan of marriage. Okay, uh, no matter, no matter who does it. But if we're if you're going to get married, I think there's a better measurement than longevity. Because I honestly don't see the point. If you say that marriage is so that you can have stable families for children, okay, you only need to be married for about 18 years. And for most of us, that's far from forever, okay? So there, there is no reason for forever when it comes to children. The measuring stick I think is preferable to longevity is happiness. It's happiness. And it might also be uh, prosperity. Will a marriage uh, for a given amount of time help both parties prosper? That might be a good question to ask. Because they might uh, decide that a, a contractual arrangement uh, is good for both houses. Right. So uh, if you can make that case, I think that that's a good case to make. But more to the point, I just, I just think it's um, human happiness. And if you are married for 10 years and are happy and then have an amicable divorce or even a messy divorce for that matter. So maybe it takes you a year uh, to get divorced because you're unhappy for a year, but you're happy for 10 years and you're unhappy for one year. You're happy for more than 90% of the time. 
Is that more than 90% of the time or less than 90% of the time? Some of you mathematicians figure it out. We'll call it about 90% of the time. That's a better situation than if you're married for 50 years, but you stopped being happy. You started being miserable 30 years ago. That's a terrible marriage. And that's the kind of marriage that religious people promote. It's the marriage that says, well, just stick it out because, because God wants you to. Just stick it out. Just stay there. You're trapped anyway. Stay trapped and unhappy. And so when we look at the statistics of uh, Christians and their marriages, one of the things that none of these surveys that I could find uh, took note of is whether you were happy in your marriage. And I can tell you, having been a minister and been in church for a long time, the vast majority of my life, I can tell you that Christian couples, in in as many cases uh, as I've seen uh, outside of the church, are simply not happy. And they stay for much longer periods of time than they should. And because they feel trapped, women often suffer the brunt of this because they can't leave. Because God told them they can't leave. But they would be much better off doing so. I think that it is past time we retire the idea of longevity as the thing that makes marriage good. It is not. And I also think that it is way past time that we retire the idea of sexual legitimacy. As if sex outside of marriage, which is, by the way, the same sex as you have inside of marriage, as if that sex is somehow dirty. But if you're married, then it's okay. We've got we've to move past that. And when we do, when we can move past both of those things, I think the days of marriage, as we understand it, will be numbered. And it is my great hope that that number is very small. And that's the view from the skeptic. So long, everybody.